The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we work 365 days a year to try and get you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to discuss a topic that, I don't know, I think everybody in real estate kind of sort of knows is important, but is more important than ever at a time like this where there's lots of competition and not that many properties available. And yet it's really hard to get people to believe that they can get good at it or get better at it. That topic, of course, is negotiation. Getting better at connecting with the people that you do deals with. We don't do deals with properties. We do deals with people. And really what negotiation is about is connecting with those people better. Here to share 38 plus years experience in negotiating over a thousand real estate deals is Mr. Ray Sasser. He is the president of the Alamo Real Estate Investors in San Antonio, and he's, of course, joining us by phone today. Ray, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Bina. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here because I am just, like, amazed at how terrible most of our colleagues are at negotiation and how they seem to think that the way to go about things is high pressure or, you know, just throwing as many offers of the wall as they can and seeing what sticks. And I'm really anxious to get your take on how we could all do better, me included. So let's let's start with just like the 90 second summary of your life in real estate so that folks can understand that you know what you're talking about. Um, Well, you know, negotiation is something you're not, I don't think any of us are uh, really good other than learning how to cry early on, but it's something that I think we have to practice and practice and practice and don't expect to be great at it at first. And that's been my experience when I first started is actually I figured it out because it says 38, but I figured out it's now 39, about to be 40. Hmm. And uh, when we did our very first deal, it, we were buying a fire-damaged house. What we didn't realize is we held all the power in the transaction. 
but it was our first deal, so we were going to do it no matter how terrible it was, and, and we pretty much made it a very bad deal. And then we were negotiating with an attorney, and he just treated me like a stepchild and uh, managed and controlled me and got exactly what he wanted from me. And then later on, you know, after we tried to rehab it, I realized just how hard all that was. But we dealt with contractors. In that first deal, we dealt with contractors, uh, professional seller, you know, an attorney, uh, dealt with city officials. We had to deal with the neighbors. We had to deal with bankers. And then we ended up owning it for 30 years. So we dealt with tenants for those 30 years. And um, then after, you know, that was our first one. And then after that, we bought hundreds more probably rehabbed over a thousand houses and then we've been managing our own properties for 39 years now so negotiation is like an everyday deal multiple times with us and if you're good you usually get good outcomes and if you're bad uh, you usually get frustrated and mad and do something else because you can't stand it so that's probably the 90 second version of where i came from and where i'm at I was telling somebody uh, last week that, you know, I'm I'm an introvert, and, and negotiation was absolutely not something that came to me naturally. You know, I don't I, I I'm still to this day I have a hard time walking into a room of strangers and talking to anyone. And I said, I got into real estate because I didn't want to take a sales job, and you know. <laughs> the, the joke's on me, right? I, I, <laughs> right. I, had the, I had the impression that, you know, it was all about the properties and the repair costs and the, you know, getting the rent-ups done and all that sort of stuff. And it didn't take me too long to figure out that, no, it's all every single bit of it about the people, the people, the people, the people, the people. And really all negotiation is is learning how to deal with the people, and that's what we're, yeah. that's what we're going to talk about for the entire rest of the show after we take this quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing talking today about negotiating with sellers. If you have questions, you can either give us a call while we're live on the air here at uh 877-772-9658 again 877-772-9658 or if that's not convenient for you you can send them via email at askvina at gmail.com welcome back to real life real estate investing i'm your host vina jones cox my guest today ray sasser we're talking about Seller negotiation, because that's, you know, when there are 18,000 foreclosures on the market in your county and all you have to do is go look at them and put in a written offer, seller negotiation just isn't really like you kind of think, oh, what's all the big talk about negotiation? I just write offers and banks accept them. But that is not the market right now. Uh, the folks who are getting deals, good deals, are typically getting them off market, which means d- dealing directly with an individual human being who's trying to sell a property. And so in times like this, seller negotiation gets super duper important. So, um, Ray, you, you've uh, been on the board of or run real estate associations for as long as I've known you. I mean, it's... It's been, that's been at least 25 years and you coach people and you're in the real estate market. So you hear what sellers are telling you about what other investors are telling them. And you must be aware that by and large, 
our competitors are just really, really bad at this. Like <laughs> the the stories we hear from sellers saying, yeah, this guy like planted himself in my living room and he just wasn't going to leave unless I signed a contract with him and I finally got him out. <laughs> or or this is a really common one right now. Some some dude offered me $200,000 for my house and, that, and it was supposed to close in 30 days and that was 45 days ago. And he called me after 29 days and said, yeah, well, really, I can only pay you 150 I mean, there's all these terrible scumbaggy negotiation techniques being used and also just kind of ignorant ones. Do you have any feel for why the industry as a whole is so bad at this? Um, well, I think there's a lot of people that get into this and they don't, they don't try to understand what it takes to make a deal. You know, you were talking about being an introvert and I also was a real introvert, and I had to figure out how to make deals and talk to people, and that's why negotiation became such a hot topic for me because I wanted to see how it really worked. I wanted to see what the structure was and try to understand that. And then once you once you get these tools, all of a sudden you can find out that you can do things that other people don't even know or understand. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's you just kind of have to realize that you're not going to be an expert at this overnight. You have to learn. Um, you have to learn, um, you know, uh, some some techniques and tool and get some tools in your toolbox. The, one of the things you said I totally agree with. We do primarily residential type properties, and so uh, well, one of the first things you learn is houses don't sell houses. People sell houses, and it's totally a people business. And so. Somehow you've got to make these people like you and trust you and, and, um, and, you know, try to kind of get them to open up with you and be honest and, and, and then you have to be honest with them too. And there's just a lot of people out there that are either, they're either not honest or they don't have any school, uh, skill. Uh, they've not taken any kind of negotiation class. They've not tried to learn the craft and you, you can't take this for granted. And it's such a, it's so essential in everything we do. We have to we have to figure out how to master it and get better at it. Well, uh, hopefully we can we can make listeners kind of wake up today and understand that they may have a problem, <laughs> right? If they're losing yeah. if they're losing a lot of deals, you know, they usually chalk it up to somebody else offered more or. The markets, you know, no seller wants to take an, a low offer or no seller wants to take a creative offer. But you and I both probably have endless stories we could sit around and tell about sellers who have taken our lower offer over someone else's higher offer because they, they, and they say things like, well, I just want to work with you. I, I, these exactly. other people make me uncomfortable. I just want to work with you. And I, I've had that happen many times and I would bet my bottom dollar that you have as well. So understand you have a problem, and then yes, it is learnable because both both Ray and I learned it, despite having no background in that sort of um, you know negotiation rapport building stuff. So uh, let's talk about rapport building because that <laughs> that that's a a term that you know we've all heard and we've all heard it's important, but some people have this reaction to it like. I don't want to do that because it's it's fake. I'm like faking it to try and make somebody like me, and that doesn't feel good to me. That's not what you're talking about when you talk about building rapport. You're talking about genuine rapport. Can you can you share how you 
build genuine rapport with sellers? You know, in the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I think is, if you're a real estate investor, you have to read that book. Uh, they, he says in there, in the book, that you have to be genuinely interested in what people are telling you. And the first time I read that, I thought, yeah, sure, why would I be interested in marine science or why would I be interested in this? And what happens is if you become an active listener and you start repeating what they say, and that's a simple technique to build rapport. You just kind of repeat what they say, mirror what they say, and then ask questions. Before you know it, you actually will become curious and interested, and uh, you can have a good conversation even if it's not going to have a big impact on the rest of your life. Um, You can genuinely get interested and involved, and I think try to figure out how to be naturally curious about things and and be interested in what they're saying, and and I think they'll pick up on that. Mm -hmm. We have... um, I don't know, you've heard the term feel, felt, found. If you think about that, the feel means that you're you're feeling what they're telling you. You're you're acknowledging to them that you understand their problem. And that that's the first part. And another thing that happens is in the rapport building, I, I would I would almost put rapport and trust as kind of the same thing. You've got to get people to trust you. And there's ways to make people trust you uh from the first second they see you, from everything you say to them, just the fact that you listen to them and you tell them that they're important enough to be heard, you're developing that trust. And so you want to build build that trust and build that rapport. And you can't do that when you're talking. You know, you've got to, you've got to listen and you've got to ask questions and you've got to make sure uh, and let them understand that you understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... When you are genuine with them, you build genuine rapport. When you're when you're yeah, not, when it you're doesn't not, have to be fake. Yeah, well, <laughs> if it's fake, it's you don't understand the the problem. Yeah, when, it's when, not fake. When you're when, uh, look, when somebody's faking interest in me because they're trying to sell me a used car, <laughs> I, I can feel it. I don't have the world's you know highest emotional quotient, you know, <laughs> whatever they whatever they call it, but. Like it just it uh, y- y'all can tell all of you can tell when somebody's trying to fake something yeah. to get something from you. So it, the solution it's, Ray is suggesting is like, don't fake it. It's like they'll say somebody will say, uh, "Well, I want to help you," and and it's like, "Well, why would they expect you to want to help them?" Mm-hmm. Right. So I, why why even say that? It, you know, it's. You're sure you want to help your fellow mankind, but you're not there to help them per se. You're there to solve a problem so that you can get to the finish line. So talk about the problem, mm-hmm. and then and then understand the problem and ask them questions about the problem. Mm-hmm. And then you you know, and after a while, you'll develop that rapport and develop that trust. One of the, we used to get a lot of calls coming in through our website, and uh, one of the questions people would say. Early on, it'll say something like, how does this work? And I learned that meant I don't trust you, and you have to prove to me that you're a sincere, real person and somebody I, I want to talk to and trust. And so then you have to go into that trust thing. And you know, and, and because of that, once I realized that, when I would answer the phone, I would tell them my full name because I'm not ashamed of my name. I'm not a crook. I'm not running from my name. I'm, you know, This is my name. 
I tell them a little bit about my experience and what I've done. And I try to build that up. And there's other tools, like you can be a member of the Better Business Bureau. And there's a lot of arguments about, you know, is is that a good way to do things or is that a legitimate way to prove that somebody's good? Maybe not, but it's it's perception that, that matters also. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so... I'm guessing you've done over a thousand deals, which means you have probably realistically talked to twenty to thirty thousand sellers. F- figuring tw- you know twenty for every deal that actually <laughs> comes through, yeah. it's 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 a, it's a lot, right? So right. at this point, do you kind of have, I don't know, like avatars for different kinds of sellers, personality types that like you can you can just sort of suss out in the first few minutes that oh this person has this particular personality characteristic if you will and i would deal with them and then in this way yeah that and so one of the things that i didn't realize what happened when i decided i just wanted to be a student negotiation and get really good at it is when you start putting tags we call them tags now but when you start putting words on behavior, then it helps you sort that in your mind. So if somebody comes at me, I can say, oh, this is that kind of person, and I have a, a word for that. Well, then I know instantly when I hit that word that I have to behave a certain way to that person. And I don't know where I got this, Vina, but probably 30 years ago, somebody did a presentation, and it showed the four different personality types. Now, Chris Voss and Never Split the Difference, he's got three personality types, but they pretty much mesh up with this four personality type. And the four that I always use is assertive, the amiable, the expressive, and the analytical. And because I tend to be kind of, uh, more like the analytical, so that was the easiest one for me to understand. So if I, if I think I'm talking to an amiable, or pardon me, an analytical, then I have to talk to them in a certain way. Uh, being nice to an analytical isn't going to get you anywhere, uh, whereas maybe being nice to an amiable and talking about their kid's uh, soccer team and stuff like that to an amiable, that matters a lot, maybe to an expressive. Uh, but to an assertive, no, an assertive is is going to be somebody that's going to be competitive with you. They're going to argue with you. They'll mm-hmm. argue straight to your face. And the last thing you want to do is disagree with them. Mm-hmm. And so same with analytical. Analytical is going to expect your numbers and your math to work. So with that analytical, you just want to make sure that uh, what you say is correct, that you're organized, that you step through it, uh, and then you get and don't expect them to to give you an answer that day. You know, mm-hmm. and so if you put high pressure tactics on analytical, um, it's not going to work out real good. Whereas an amiable, they they'll sign before they're ready to sign probably before you even finish explaining things if they like you. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, personality types matter. There's um, uh, many years ago, I took the Briggs Meyer test. And I didn't trust it. I didn't believe it. But I took it and it said all these things about me. And I said, well, this is not me. I mean, yeah, I do sort of, I'm sort of like that. And I'm sort of like this. And then I had, um, uh, I, I had everybody in my family, my kids, my wife, take the same test. And I just nailed them. And and then I told my wife, I just said, hey, what do you think about this as far as it relates to me? And she said, it just, it nailed me. And, 
you can predict the way people are going to behave uh, with a lot of accuracy. And I think it's worthwhile to break this down either in break down personality types into three or four different types of personalities, memorize, I mean, just totally memorize it uh, and get it right and and force yourself to go through that. So when you're talking to somebody, try to put the, that person in that category and see how they behave, see how predictable they behave, and then try to talk to them um, with that with that personality type in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's let's see if we can give listeners an example of how this looks in a in the real world. And I know I know you're okay. a big fan of making creative offers, so let's make it hard for you here. Um, <laughs> how would you present the idea of seller financing to somebody that you had identified as analytical versus somehow someone you had identified as assertive? Um. So assertives, I think, would be tough if they didn't want to do that. Uh, analytical, I think it's easier because an analytical is going to be a person who actually, if you can give strong arguments, um, they're going to go with your logic if they have, if they can. Now, a lot of times they can't do it. In other words, they they have to pay off a loan or they need a certain amount of money. So a lot of times, creative deals are just not going to work. Uh, but if that was an option, say they didn't need the money and they own the property free and clear, I mean, that's just like a neon light saying, be creative, be creative. Mm-hmm. And so with the analytical, I would give them the data. You know, like right now, if you're if you're in real estate, anybody that's got assets, we have a terrible – we're in a terrible situation is uh, if you sell something, what are you going to do with the money? Mm-hmm. There's you know, no, there's if, no uh, next investment a, for you. <laughs> Right. If it's a let's say it's an analytical, I'm going to I'm going to say and if, say the person's 80 years old, I might say, what are you going to do with the money? If you put it in the bank, and um, um, you were to pass away in the next couple of years or three or four years, wouldn't it be nice if your if your heirs had that regular check coming in every single month, and they didn't make they didn't spend all the money in one place on some harebrained idea, whereas <laughs> they have this serious assets securing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so i mean analyticals would be easy on that in that discussion mm-hmm. and assertive would be tough it, you know i think <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> uh if they if they like you and they don't need the money uh they do it but they don't assertives don't always act with uh for logical reasons so they they would rather be they would rather be Right than rich. <laughs> yeah, what you're saying. absolutely. <laughs> what you're saying yeah. about the assertive folks out there. All right. Uh, so, listeners, if you have any questions for Ray, like a negotiation you've been dealing with, a negotiation that failed, just uh, general, general, I don't know, mistakes that you feel like you might have made, things that you need to get better at, uh, why don't you give us a call at 877-772-9658. You can also just send it in an email. That email address is askvina, that's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Ray Sasser, just a guy with years and years and years of negotiating study and practice and success under his belt. 
Uh, Ray is teaching a class. Uh, gosh, is that this Saturday? Is that coming up this week? Um, at, uh, for Cincinnati RIA. Uh, it's an all day intensive class. It's pretty inexpensive. And of course, money back guaranteed. You could get more information on that at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati R-E-I-A.com. If you're smacking yourself in the head and saying, oh, I really need that, but I'm already busy on Saturday. Boy, that sounded like we just got lost Ray. Um, uh, if you're thinking I'm already busy on Saturday, all of Rhea's Saturday intensive workshops are recorded and all the recordings are sent to everybody who registered. So you could have it for your real estate library if you couldn't have it live again, you can get more information on that at CincinnatiRia.com. That's CincinnatiRia.com. While, oh, nope, he's got him back. Yay. No, you don't have him back? Got his voicemail. Awesome. He may not know that, <laughs> that we don't have him anymore. All right, so while Mike is attempting to get back with Ray, I will read an email here from Tom in Columbus because it's uh, more of a recommendation for listeners than it is a question for Ray. Uh, it says, here's a good book to read that breaks out the four different personalities. It's called Personality Plus by Floris Littower, L-I-T-T-A-U-E-R. Uh, so... Um, yay, live radio. <laughs> the people who do podcasts have it easy, man. Like they just sit in their closets and they record this stuff. And of course, we also record real life real estate investing. A lot of people see, <laughs> a lot of people, uh, seem to actually think real life real estate is a podcast. I get that, uh, I get that all the time when I travel around the country. Say, oh, I listen to your podcast. Uh, the reason they think it's podcast is because all of the shows are available for your re-listening pleasure at realliferealestate.com, realliferealestate.com. And uh, also, uh, if you would like to receive early, if you'd like to receive an early uh, reminder every uh, Wednesday of the upcoming show and other news and information about the real estate investing world, you can email askvina at gmail.com and say put me on your email list and we will take care of that ray you back yes ma'am excellent that's a joys of live radio this is yes. some, sometimes <laughs> sometimes stuff that like that happens and you just have to like tapity 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 tap until you work it out so um let's see we talked about Examples of negotiating with one type of seller versus another type of seller. So um, we actually, this was on my question list, but I also just got a question from a listener about it. That's a really similar uh, question. I had a hard time. Uh, let me say it a different way. It took me a number of years of talking to sellers to figure out that, what they will say they need and even what they believe they need, right? I need this much money because I've got to pay off my loan. I need this much money because I'm going to buy a pickup truck. I, you know, they, they will very clearly state what they think they need, but it often turns out to not be what they need. 
They don't need to sell their house for enough to get a pickup truck. They need a pickup truck, right? <laughs> so selling the house is just the way they have put in their mind that they're going to do that. So given that even the sellers themselves often don't know what their real problem is, how do you go about finding out what it is so that you can construct a better offer for them? Um, I think if you have a good script, that's a good place to start because a lot of times as you get more experience, you don't really look at the script, but there's questions if the script is well built, it will show you, uh, it'll, it'll make you ask those questions. The other thing you have to do is you have to really listen. You know, we got two eyes, two ears and one mouth. So if you're talking, you're not learning anything. And you have to listen and you have to look at the, the physical cues and try to read between the lines and then ask questions in the right way. For example, I might not ask somebody, uh, uh, are you behind on your payments? I might ask, how many payments will it take to catch, catch the mortgage up if I suspect it's a foreclosure situation? Mm-hmm. So their pres- the presumption is that I already know that they are behind on their payments. Now, if they're not, they'll say, oh, we're not behind on our payments, and that's fine. But if you ask them to lie and they lie, you it's over. They're not going to come clean. So when you have kids, you learn that. Like I, my son, who was always had a way to get in trouble, I never asked him if he was guilty. I asked him, why did he do that? <laughs> and so it was – and then he said, well, Dad, you know, I was trying to do this and this, and it was already assumed that I knew the answer. So – but we have to listen and we have to repeat what they're saying. We have to intel's everything. We have to look at the cues. Uh, you know, we were negotiating with a lady the other day and the I could tell she was just really down on her luck and and so I said, Well let's just go get something to eat and let's talk more and figure out what how we can get this problem solved. And so I built that rapport, I built that trust. And then she was more willing to open up to me. But if she didn't like me or know me or trust me, she's not going to open up and be honest. And so we, we don't want to get them in any kind of trap that they can't get themselves out of. But we just have to be we have to figure out how to be better listeners mm-hmm. and ask better questions. And I really as I've gotten older, it's easier. But I really treat everybody as either my friend or my brother or my sister or my mother or my father. I treat them, I try to treat them like family. And I think they're responsive to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. That's a I like that. Think think of everybody as your friend or your brother or your sister or your mother or your father, and how would you treat them? Uh, so, can you give me? You you mentioned a script. Can you give me some examples of the kinds of questions that might be in that script that would lead people to saying stuff that they weren't. They weren't like they were expecting you to ask, like, how many bedrooms does the house have and how much do you want for it? And where's the school system? But but it sounds like you're asking other questions that are going to lead them around to telling you what the whole story is. Right. So like on that script and, and beginning investors won't ask personal questions. And I think that's a mistake. You've got to ask personal questions because this whole thing's personal. And a lot of times. We're dealing with motivated sellers who have real problems. And so when I ask a question, I'll, I'll phrase that question first. Little things like you say, you know, bad things happen to good people all the time. 
So if you open start a sentence like that, then that frees you to say maybe something that's not so pleasant in the next sentence. Um, so, so I qualify every question with either a statement or a reason why I'm asking it. And like I was saying, beginning investors won't ask people um, for personal information or they won't ask for loan information. And yet without that loan information, it's hard to be creative if you don't know what's going on in the transaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, so what, I'll give you an example of a question that's not on a typical script. And I thought I actually invented this until I um, – 30 years ago, I listened to a guy named Roger Dawson. Did you ever get a chance to listen to Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's a name from the past. (laughs) Yeah, well, he opened my eyes to negotiation. I realized, oh, the power that's here, uh, no wonder I'm struggling and fighting because I'm just approaching this wrong. I haven't learned these tools and techniques. And um, uh, anyway, I listened to the guy about 30 years ago, and about 20 years ago, I was leaving a property, and the person wanted to wait to make a decision because I failed to ask a question and I pulled over on the side of the road and I wrote down the question and the question went something like this. If you and I can agree to price and terms on this property, are you prepared to sign a purchase agreement now? And so I'll ask that question before I go look at the property, usually before I spend a lot of time on it. And then I'm going to find out how committed they are by asking that question. It turns out, I thought I invented that question on the side of the road, but uh, later on I listened to Roger Dawson again, like mm-hmm. 10 years after that. And I thought, Dang, I, mean, I thought I invented that. It turns out it was Roger Dawson. But I think we, when you become a student at this stuff, this it just goes in your head. You don't know where it's at in your head. And then at the right time, uh, because you really try hard to be good at this, uh, it comes out. And uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, you Did you ever get to meet Jimmy Napier? I did, yes. Well, he had like 100 business cards that talked about how to put deals together. And um, about 50 or 60 of them applied to what I do. And I put that into – I made flashcards out of that. And then what I did is I, I added on probably another 50 or 60 to that. And, and they're like business cards. So – when I would go early on, when I would go talk to sellers, I'd take those business cards with me as I'm driving. And, uh, you know, maybe that's not the safest thing in the world. But as I was driving, I would just go through, the, I'd thumb through those business cards. And and all these ideas, all these strategies, just different ways to do things. And then plus the 50 or so I added to it. Uh, all these things were like in the forefront of my mind. They were in my head. And then I'd go talk to that seller. And I wasn't. When I met that seller, I no longer had that one answer that 95% of home buyers have out there is, how much do you want all cash if I buy it right now? Mm-hmm. And because I had all these other ideas fresh in my head, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we have to do. We have to get more stuff in our head. We got we have to have more options. And that's one of the power principles, which, you know, like I like to talk about, the 10 power principles One of them, the one, he who has most alternatives ends up getting what they need. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure we have alternatives. We want to make sure we have a a good uh, set of ideas that we can work with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that question about if we agreed on a price and terms, would you be ready to sign a purchase contract today is a wonderful question. 
because so many new investors kind of fall out of the business, if you will, because they they go see every house that somebody calls them about and 80% of those people aren't actually ready to sell right now. And so they feel like, oh, nobody, nobody takes an offer. Well, no, you're just making offers to people who aren't ready to take them. And if you just ask them up front, you could maybe save some of your time and go talk to people who were ready to sell. Uh, so question uh, via email from Bev in Indianapolis. She says, can you ask Ray how to respond to someone who is very quiet and controlled in their communication? They give you very limited or evasive answers about the basic questions about their situation or property. I had, a, I had one of the hardest deals we ever had as a partner of mine was buying a property and uh, he said, well, you've got to come out here because she won't talk to me. Like they would, she would set the appointment. Uh, he would ask questions. She would give one word answers. So, so, you know, one of the tricks is, is don't ask questions that have one word answers. <laughs> like, uh, uh, would you do this? Yes or no? No, don't ask that question. How would we do this? No. Or what would that look like? Ask those kinds of questions. Uh, but, that story uh, that I was beginning to tell is I'm a big Hank Williams fan. And uh, I was in this house, and the lady was doing the exact same thing to me. I couldn't get her to do anything. It was just like it was just like prying a safe open. I couldn't build any rapport, any talk. And finally, I, I just needed to break. And I, if I'm at the house, I'll usually use the house as a way to to continue the conversation until I figure out what I do next. And um, uh, so, so she said, or I said, well, do you mind if I look upstairs? And I, I could care less what the upstairs look like because I'm a firm believer that people sell houses, houses don't sell houses. And so my problem was getting her to open up and talk to me. And anyway, so I walk upstairs, and you know what a velvet Elvis is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she she had a velvet Hank Williams <laughs> in the hall on the hall walls. And I thought, okay, this is somebody that has an interest in Hank Williams. So I went back downstairs and I, I talked to her about that Hank Williams, uh, the velvet Hank Williams. And I told her I was a real big fan and, uh, and she started crying and I thought, Oh, wow. What what did I do? <laughs> and it turns out that as a kid, she was, she was on the way to the concert that Hank Williams died en route to. Oh. oh and, it, and it's so it's like a dream that never came true for her. And we started talking about that and all that stuff. Next thing you know, well, we're talking about Hank Williams for 10 or 15 minutes. And next thing you know, all of a sudden she's talking to us and opening up to us. So I, I'd say, like, you've got to have some common ground. And, and that's, if they're not talking to you, to me, they're either, it means they're either intimidated or they don't trust you. And you've got to somehow get to that trust or build that trust. You've got to find some commonality. You know, you if, if you see pictures of their kids or grandchildren doing certain things, you know, if you have any commonality with that, then talk about that. Because she wasn't that, she wasn't that analytical uh, type person. She was that person who um, was more expressive, but also had probably been hurt or didn't trust us and didn't have confidence in us. So I had to figure out how to break through that. And I think that's what you, that's the only way I would know how to do it is to try to break through to it. 
the other thing is uh, I used to not make offers um, and I'd wait on some other thing to happen. And I've really changed a lot in that regard. It's a lot of times people are just not going to respond quickly. They're going to take some time to think about it. And, and it doesn't hurt to make offers. And especially if you can make them where they're kind of open-ended and they're not uh, cast in cement, you can always do that with people. So, so that's how I would approach it. Amen. And I, amen. To, amen to that last thing you just said, because uh, I can't tell you how many offers I've had accepted in the last, I don't know, four or five years since the market started to go insane, where the seller said, I must have, I will not sell for less than $169,000 cash on the barrel head. Got to walk away from the closing with that. And I've said... Well, unfortunately, that's going to be kind of out of our range for a two-bedroom, four-room, <laughs> one-bath house, frame house that needs, you know, $60,000 worth of work. I mean, re- realistically, we'd probably be in the 90 range and have them go have had them said, "Oh my god, I would never ever 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 <laughs> only guess what they eventually did." Because lots of people came and made them similar offers. And, you know, I was the one who actually, I, I made the offer. I was usually the first one to actually make the offer because a lot of other people didn't make it. Because they were told, right. they were told right. 169 and they could offer 90. And I'm the one who follows up. So, yeah, that's, uh, I'll always make the offer. Like, that should be like tattooed on every real estate investor's wrist so that they can look at it as they walk into the house. Always make the well, offer. The other thing you're- that's right on is to follow up to because motivation goes from zero to max in a, in a literally in a day. And so if you're at that part of the, the, that motivation curve where it's not at the max, it's at the minimum and they're just checking their alternatives, um, they're probably not going to want to come down on that price. But if you leave that offer out there and then you follow up with them and let them know that, it's something that you're still interested in when that motivation does change you're there Mm -hmm. and that that staying on them really makes a a lot of sense and it depends who you talk to but i would say in our in our experience 30 to 40 percent of the time we get the deal after the initial visit and after the initial effort to buy it's a week later a month later a year later uh so following up is really important Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so sort of semi-related question, uh, another direct solar motivation question from uh, Judy, who's in Akron, Ohio. She says, how do you respond to someone who wants a bottom line price up front, but does not want to answer hardly any questions or give you much information? So this is the... This is the person that you marketed to and they call you and you're like, hi, it's Ray Sasser. Um, what can I do for you? And they say, yeah, you sent me a postcard. What will you pay for my house? <laughs> and you say, well, I need to know some stuff. And they say, well, you sent me the postcard. What do you want to pay? How do you deal with that guy? Um, that's a that's kind of a tough one. Um, I I work really hard at getting them to make an offer, but a lot of times they're not going to make an offer. And um, I try to make kind of a make light out of it. For example, if they say, well, you have to tell me you're the expert kind of thing. And it's like, 
Well, you know, we use a formula, and the formula works like this, and this is typically what we can pay, and this is kind of the range that we would pay within. And that seems to be a real good combination. And, and of course, this is like sight unseen. So we know that that number can change when we go look at it, and that, that $5,000 uh, cost for upgrading and repairs really is 40000 and they don't know any better. But the, the longer I can be in the conversation with them, the more vested they become, the more effort they put in trying to make my deal work. So time working on that, that time in the transaction, that time in the conversation, every minute is valuable to me. And so the, so just buying more time, but we've also had situations where they won't give a price. They won't give a price. And I'll say, okay, well, here's what I'll pay. I'll pay a dollar. <laughs> and of course they'll laugh and crack up. And I said, well, wait, wait, I made my offer. So you got to make an offer. <laughs> and they'll come back and say, well, if you're going to offer a dollar, I'll, uh, I really wanted a million dollars if it's worth, say, 100000 <laughs> Well, maybe we can split the difference. Now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but now we're we're making we're, we're going to make a deal. I'm going to make a deal with that guy almost every time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because now we're going we're gonna to have to base it on some real criteria that makes sense. And, and I don't hesitate to say, look, I do this to make a profit. Is there any is, or do you have any um, is there any reason why I shouldn't be making a profit on this? Mm-hmm. And and they'll they'll all agree that it's fair and reasonable. You know, if I put the money in it, I take the risk. I do all the time. I put this property uh, back on the market. I upgrade it. Um, then I should I should get paid for my time in it. Is that a problem? Mm-hmm. And nobody ever says it's a problem. In fact, they say no, it's not a problem. And so now, when I when they start talking like that, then we can really kind of get down to the numbers and make the deal make sense for everybody. Excellent. Ray, we have, we have, we have run ourselves clean out of time. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) So I'm going to have to direct folks who want to learn more, like in a more, I know you've got all day, you're going to present these things one by one, really explain people how to do them, answer their questions. That's this upcoming Saturday online and folks can get more information at CincinnatiRia.com. Thanks for your time, Ray. Appreciate you sharing your wisdom with listeners today. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.